Hey everyone, this is Tim Harris. I'm the pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church and this is our weekly podcast. Hope it encourages you. Hope it makes you want to be closer to Jesus and more like him. Hope you enjoy this sermon. And if you want to know more about us, find us online at woodburnbaptist.org. To Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. One verse. It's a gospel verse, and we'll start here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says this My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How many of you know Lizzo? Hands up. You know her music? You're familiar with Lizzo? It's okay, y'all. I just played her in church, so it's okay if you say that you've, you've heard the music. She's actually one of the most celebrated musicians in our day. So by this point, if you haven't encountered Lizzo or, or her music, I mean, they were playing at an IGA the other morning. So Lizzo is, is, is everywhere. Her name is Melissa Jefferson. Uh, in many ways, what makes Lizzo such an attractive celebrity is just the fact that she's really so ordinary. Melissa Jefferson was uh, a high school band geek. She plays the flute. She still plays the flute in her concerts. She plays the flute and twerks, which takes something. Let's just all recognize that that, that takes something extra. Uh, like most pop musicians, Lizzo has a church background. And in the next few weeks, we'll talk about other examples, but honestly, most pop stars, most pop singers, pop musicians, they have a church background. Why is that? There's a logical reason. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a place to sing. Church is still the place where, I mean, there aren't a lot of places in our culture where children can just grow up singing and learning to sing, being taught to sing, singing in choirs, singing in bands, whatever. Uh, church is still a, an, an amazing place for musicians to develop their gifts. And so a lot of pop, I'm not talking about Christian musicians, I'm talking about the ones you see on Spotify and hear on Apple Music. I mean, the, the pop musicians of our day still come producing predominantly from church backgrounds. Lizzo is no exception to that. Lizzo has a strong background in the black Pentecostal church. I believe the church she was raised in, her grandparents were the pastors. Lizzo was not allowed to listen to any music but gospel music. As a girl, Lizzo Melissa Jefferson, she wore only dresses. They didn't wear pants. Women didn't wear pants in the church she grew up in, and she read and read and read and read and read the Bible. That's by Lizzo's own story. She's interviewed frequently. She'll talk a lot about her past. When Lizzo talks about her, her past, though, the one thing she talks about is the way she learned to hate herself. And her language is, is exactly that. She says her problem was self-hatred. Lizzo learned to hate herself because of the way she felt she was seen in the eyes of the culture, in the eyes of society. First off, she was black in a predominantly white culture, which always made her feel othered and somehow not acceptable to, to the culture. But the, of course, the, the other one, and probably for Lizzo, the most important is her size. She's always been a big girl, always, always. Uh, she struggled with her weight. She fought against her weight, but eventually came to decide that this is just who I am and what I look like. Lizzo's self-hatred has informed her music a lot, and her message now 
is one that's considered extremely positive. And actually, it's a message that a lot of people, not just women, but a lot of women, young women, especially young black women, are, are really resonating with. Lizzo's message is a message of self-acceptance. You accept yourself. You, you don't continue to hate yourself. You, you, you learn somehow to hold your head up and, and be proud of yourself. Lizzo's message is a message of, of body positivity. That's the language that she would use. In other words, uh, you can be beautiful no matter what size your body is, that, that there's still beauty there. And that message is positive. She sort of preaches a message against what she calls fat shaming. In other words, a person should not be made to feel ashamed simply because they don't conform to the culture's idolatry of thinness. And there is much that Lizzo says in that message that actually is true. And there's a lot of that that I, as a Christian, I agree with. And I think that we should be willing to recognize truth when we see it and truth when we hear it, even if in some ways that truth and what she's saying says something important to us as believers. I don't want you to miss that. The idea that the culture outside, you know, somehow prizes and, and, and rewards people who are thin, it's not just out there. The church operates under some of that same assumption. Some of you perhaps in church have been made to feel like somehow you were less acceptable even to God because you don't conform to what our culture considers the, the, the appropriate body size or, or, or body shape. So in some ways, what Lizzo was saying is something that even applies within the church in so much as sometimes we can be as much like the world as the world is. But Lizzo's message is positive. Lizzo's message is widely received. She has a, an, an enormous following on social media, on Instagram. I'm telling you, Lizzo is a voice that is obviously speaking for a lot of people in our culture. That's why I think it's important that we listen to her because, as I say, she's speaking for people. What she's saying is a message that is resonating with our culture. And if we're going to share the gospel in that culture, then I think we need to understand something of what Lizzo is saying. You with me? So we're talking about evangelism. Like I say, this isn't like VH1 behind the music, you all. Uh, we're talking about evangelism. How do we become better evangelists? So let's just start. Let's back up a little bit, then we'll come back to Lizzo. First off, let me just lay this out for you. Evangelism is joining the conversation the Holy Spirit is already having with that person. Now, when I say that person, I'm not speaking about Lizzo in particular at this moment. I'm talking about anybody that you may feel like you need to share the gospel with, somebody at work, in your family, your own children, somebody that you want to tell about Jesus. You need to understand that you are actually joining a conversation that's already taking place. The Holy Spirit was talking to them before you ever came along, and the Holy Spirit will continue the conversation after you're gone. Salvation is Jesus' work. You don't save anybody. I don't save anybody. Jesus does the saving. We are called to share the message of salvation. We can't make them love Jesus, but we can absolutely make an introduction. We can tell them about Jesus, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to tell people about Jesus, but when we step into this conversation, understand, Jesus is already showing himself to them. The Holy Spirit is already you know, pricking their hearts, preparing them for the seed of the gospel. You're stepping into God's work, and it's already happening. So your job, my job, is to try to listen, try to pay attention, and, and try to get some idea of, of, of how God is already at work in that person. 
how the Holy Spirit is already drawing them to Christ, how Jesus is showing himself to them. Does that make sense? You're not starting a conversation, you're stepping into one that's already happening and it's much, much bigger than you know. Evangelism is just joining the Holy Spirit in that conversation. Second, the greatest need of every person is what? The gospel. The greatest need of every person is the gospel. I don't know how to get this through our heads. This is probably the reason why, as a whole, the church in the United States is absolutely ineffective at evangelism. We're ineffective, and it probably starts right here. We don't really think, or or we may say we think it, but we don't act like we really believe that people need to hear about Jesus. If we really believed it, I think we'd tell them. Recent statistics show that the majority of non-believers in the United States say that they don't even know a single Christian. They say they don't know any Christians. Okay, now I'm doubting that because I still think, my goodness, there's a church on every corner. There's still a lot of Christians in the United States. Something like 80% you know, profess some sort of belief in God. They say they pray. I mean, it's hard for me to believe that lost people don't know a single Christian. So either there are fewer Christians than we know, or there are a whole lot of Christians out in the world and they don't say a word. They don't say a word. I mean, honestly, some of you right now, if you walked into school tomorrow and you started talking about Jesus, would your friends think something had happened? Would Would that be out of ordinary for you? Would your friends be surprised to find out that you actually go to church? People you work with, would they be surprised to find out that that, that you know Christ, that you're a believer? I'm just saying, if they're out there telling researchers that they don't know a single Christian, then there's something wrong if, if, if they actually work with me and you, you know? I have a feeling that we really don't really believe that the greatest seed of every person is the gospel. For example... When Lizzo first popped up on the screen, was your first thought about her size or her soul? You know? Because in our culture, when you see somebody shaped like Lizzo, a whole lot of people think, well, I'll tell you one thing, I know what that girl needs. That girl needs a good diet plan. She needs to cut out the carbs. I mean, I'm talking about believers, people like us. That's where we go. But she has a weight problem. No, 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 no. She has a sin problem. I'm telling you, every person's greatest need is the gospel. Well, Pastor Tim, what about, what about gay people? Gay people need the gospel. That's their biggest problem, but they're gay. It doesn't matter. They need the gospel. Introduce them to Jesus and anything that needs fixing, he will fix. The gospel doesn't require that you fix them before Jesus saves them. Just take them to Jesus. Their greatest need is the gospel. The greatest need is Jesus. All kinds of things that you and I can get stuck on, but you better get unstuck because people need Jesus. The greatest need of every person is the gospel. So for Lizzo, I'm telling you, her soul is more important than her size. You have to understand that. The most important thing about any person is their heart, their soul. Do they know Jesus? Only thing that matters. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter. Do they know Jesus? The greatest need of every person is the gospel. Now, the gospel itself, I know you know, but let me just sum it up. The gospel is the good news of God's reaching out to us in the fullness of his love through Jesus. The gospel is good news. 
it's good news. If you don't understand what good news it is, either you've never been saved, you don't know what Jesus does for a person, or you don't know how desperately people need, need what Jesus has to offer. This is good news. The world needs it. Your neighbors need it. Everybody in your school, they need this message. It's good news. It's the good news of God reaching out to us. We could not reach him. You can't save yourself. People can't save you. Nothing can save you. Only Jesus saves. God reaches out to us. He bridges the gap. Our sins separated us, but I'm telling you, God bridged that gap. He became one of us so that he could save all of us. Understand, the gospel is the good news of God's reaching out to us with the fullness of his love. It's a message of love, and as I've been saying now for weeks, if they don't see this love operational in our lives, in our church, in our witness, then they're never going to listen to us when we try to tell them about God who in the fullness of his love. If, if that love is real, they're going to see it in us. So it's the good news of God's reaching out to us with the fullness of his love through Jesus. It's always about Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. You cannot share the gospel with somebody and not say the name Jesus. It's Jesus. The message is Jesus. So when you're trying to share the message of Jesus with a person, you really want to share the good news. I insist it's often most important for us to listen before we talk. You got to listen. You gotta sort of try to get a sense of how the Holy Spirit is working in their life. And more importantly, where it is that that door is open for the gospel. Growing up in church, we had all kinds of evangelism training classes and all kinds of programs, and we memorized stuff and go out knocking on doors with a memorized speech. We knock on their door and we'd have a speech memorized, and, and basically, if they talked, they'd ruin it. Because we, we, we had a memorized speech. And it was good. It was the gospel. And, and, and I'm not saying that some people didn't get saved from that. I mean, there must be some place for that. But I'm telling you, most people don't have time and they don't, they're not going to listen to your memorized speech. And also, just to break the news to you, most people out there walking around, they don't think of themselves as lost. They don't think of themselves as sinners. And they don't think they need anything you've got to say as a Christian. They're really not out there asking for the gospel. So we have to understand how that we can begin to speak in a way that we can gain a hearing. And I think that that really does mean just sort of trying to pay attention. You can't go out there you know, shouting that Jesus is the answer to all their questions when they know good and well you don't even know what questions they're asking. So what questions are they asking? Now, now back to Lizzo. Lizzo says that her problem was this, this, this lack of esteem for herself. And she traces that back to the way she was seen and treated by other people. Now, I, I want to be very fair to her because, like I say, she's speaking for a lot of people. And so understand, when I describe her, I, I, want, I want you to hear it with all the love and compassion in my heart. I'm not trying to misrepresent her. This is what she says. That the problem was that lack, of, that lack of affirmation, that lack of validation from people because she felt like she never measured up to the world's standards. 
the world's standards of beauty, the world's standards of who and who is not an acceptable, a worthy person. She measured herself by the world's standards, felt unvalidated, unbeautiful, and began to hate herself. All right? I I think that's what Lizzo would say. So let me sort of summarize her message for you in this way. Lizzo says that if other people won't affirm you, then you must affirm yourself. Love yourself. I think that's her message. Uh, the song we just played, I mean, the song is called If You Love Me, and, that, and that's the first line of the song. I've learned to love me as myself. And, and that's the whole message of the song. You have to love yourself because other people are not going to affirm you. Lizzo has learned that the affirmation, the validation that she needs, there's not enough of it from other people. She's going to have to learn to do that for herself. Now, there are a lot of people who resonate with that message. And some of you right here are saying, Pastor Sam, I don't hear anything wrong with that. I think it's good to love yourself. Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So there must be some basic degree of self-love that is important for just human, emotional, relational health. And I don't disagree with you completely. I just want to probably say to you that self-love may be important in some measure, but it can't save you. Self-love can't save you, and for that matter, the love of other people, it can't save you because no matter what you think and no matter how it feels to you, that's not your problem. Your problem is not that other people don't validate you. Your problem is not the culture that doesn't necessarily think that somebody your shape or size is beautiful. That's not your problem. Your problem is not that somehow you don't measure up to the standards of the culture. That's not your problem. And since that's not your problem, this can't be your answer. You with me? I'm just trying to talk about evangelism and how we can share the actual gospel with people. And you got to understand what people actually think and say. Self-love cannot save you because this is not your problem. Now, back to the gospel. Understand this. Every person is made in God's image. That's true. I'm not just talking about believers. I mean every person made in the image of God. That's why abortion is such an important issue because every unborn person is still a person that God has, has knit together in the mother's womb. That person has worth and dignity not because people value its life, but because God values that life. Every person is made in God's image. Now, if in church you've ever somehow gotten the idea that God prefers some bodies over other bodies, then you are misinformed. The Bible nowhere includes this moral imperative that we all gotta be skinny. I'm telling you, if we gotta be swimsuit models to get into heaven, ain't none of us going. I mean, I hate to say that, it's such a generalization, but I am looking at you. (laughs) It's not the word. Throughout human history, human cultures value all shapes and sizes. You ever read the Song of Solomon? When the the man in the book is, is describing the woman that he loves, this is a hefty girl. He talks about her thighs. He describes her like she's this giant bag of watermelons rolling down a hill, and he thinks she's beautiful. He does. I mean, he talks about her belly button, says it's big enough, you know, to put your face in it and blow. I mean, her belly button is like, he describes it like a punch bowl. He says, it's like a punch bowl, girl. I mean, this is a, this is a good-sized woman, and he loves her. I'm not making a joke. 
I'm telling you that in the Song of Solomon, that this woman praised as beautiful probably wouldn't get a whole lot of likes on Instagram today. So you can't necessarily take your cultural standard and try to apply it to Scripture. And if you've ever gotten the idea that somehow your body wasn't good enough for God, then again, you've been misinformed. Every person is made in God's image. Every body, every single human body, this body, I'm, I'm telling you, God created it. God loves it. It doesn't make you unworthy or unlovable to God. Our dignity, our worth come from him and not from the world or from the opinions of people. It doesn't matter what people say about you. It doesn't matter what people think about how you look. Your worth and dignity don't come from them. It doesn't. And for that matter, it doesn't really come from yourself either. It comes from the God who made you. It comes from Jesus who looks at you to this very moment and still sees a person worth dying for. You are so loved. This is the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. And that's why I say the world needs to hear it. We have a, 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 a nation full of people who are begging for validation, begging for affirmation. So let's talk about that. We all do to some degree, so let's just talk about ourselves. You seek affirmation, I seek affirmation, because at the very core, there is this deep awareness that I am deeply flawed. You are flawed. I say not everybody out in the world thinks of themselves as sinners, but now deep inside, if you ever get them to be honest with you, they know about this. I still know that there's just something not right deep inside me. There's this, there's this uh, contradiction in, in my own heart. This is what it is to be lost. This is what it is to be separated from God. Um, not everybody experiences it the same way, and that's why you can't just memorize a script and go out and, and think you're going to lead the world to Christ because... People experience lostness in different ways. They're all separated from God because of sin, but, but that separation is manifest in different ways for different people. But make no mistake, we share this in common. There's just this part inside of me that knows I'm not right. I know that. You know that no matter how hard you try, and you've tried a lot, you really can't fix yourself. All the things that are broken in you, you know, you keep going, you're setting New Year's resolutions and turning over a new leaf and all, you know, you get yourself a new, you know, a new planner, like you're going to reorganize your whole life and you don't get through February. You have in your mind the kind of person you want to be and then you continue being the same old person that you are. You are incapable of changing yourself. We all know that deep inside there is this fatal flaw in us. It's what the Bible calls sin. The problem in our culture, though, is, is, is what we do with this. Again, if people don't know the gospel or if they refuse the gospel, they still got to somehow deal with this lostness, this, this knowledge, this incredible, heavy, empty weight inside your heart that reminds you that you don't measure up. So in our culture these days, it, it is this uh, insatiable quest for affirmation, People somehow know they don't measure up, so they just step out into the world and demand validation, you know? In other words, if I don't measure up to the standard, then let's change the standard, you know? So now the world must simply make adjustments for me. 
because I must be validated, I must be affirmed, I must be loved above everything else. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This is the world we live in. And that's why you have individuals now who, who, who need so much validation. And I'm just telling you, since there's no actual salvation here, there's never going to be enough. You're never going to be satisfied. It doesn't matter how many people affirm you. It doesn't matter if everybody celebrates all of your flaws. It doesn't matter if they throw you a parade every month of the year. It will not matter if they remember your pronouns or don't remember your pronouns. I'm telling you, pronouns can't save you. The validation of people, the affirmation, the recognition, the celebration of the world, none of this will save you. But I'm telling you, people seek affirmation, and it's an expression of lostness. It's this expression of brokenness. They know that they don't measure up, but what they don't understand is it's not that we fall short of culture standards. We fall short of God's standards. That's what makes us sinners. It's not that I don't meet the, the, the culture standards of masculinity or, or, or what it means to be a man in the world. I mean, I'm not saying that, that I fall short of those. I do, but that's not my problem. My problem is I fall short of God's standards. I mean, that's what the scripture says. It's a definition of a sinner. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. It's God's standard that we all fall short of. So that's why I love Isaiah chapter 53. It's a, it's a gospel verse, even if it's in the Old Testament. And it's a description of Jesus, and it's just so perfect, just so perfect if he's going to be the one to save us. Scripture says there was nothing beautiful or majestic about Jesus, about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. There was nothing beautiful about Jesus. In other words, Jesus did not, did not measure up to society's standards of what, what was beautiful. There was nothing majestic about Jesus. Jesus did not measure up to our, our world standards of what a king should be. Jesus did not measure up to any of the world standards, and that's why there was nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected by us. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, but the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, in the context of all of this, he came down. I mean, God took on flesh and became one of us. This is the gospel. And when he became one of us, he experienced that rejection. He experienced that, that, that falling short of all of the things that, that humans expect and demand. Now, Jesus never sinned. He measured up to all of God's standards because he was God in the flesh, God in all of his holiness. But we looked at him and turned the other way. And in the process of all of that, in all the process of our despising him, our rejecting him, our turning our backs from him, that whole time, God was working in Jesus to bring us all to himself. God was working to save us even as we crucified him. I just sort of love this uh, prophecy, this description of the Savior who comes down and identifies with me in all of my ugliness in all the ways that people would look down on me, in all the ways that people would turn their backs on me. This sounds like the kind of savior who could uh, probably understand. So let me just say a couple of things. Uh, when you make people the source of what you think you need, your soul never gets what it actually needs most. Like I say, the problem with people these days, so many people think that what they need is affirmation, validation. And the other people to affirm them. The problem with that is there's just never going to be enough of that for you. 
because it, it, it never really actually gives your soul what it actually needs. What you need is the gospel. What you need is the love of Jesus. But if you think what you need is just other people to love you, that, that's why your soul is always going to turn back empty. That, that's why this gospel of self-love is so devastating. But because, I mean, just think about it. I mean, I understand there's a certain need for a person to not be their own worst enemy, but at the same time, the idea that you're going to somehow change your own life by loving yourself, that's so empty. I mean, it's devastating because it's empty. I mean, have you ever, you ever sent yourself a valentine? I mean, how'd that go? I mean, oh, you shouldn't have. I mean, you, you, you know, you send yourself a bouquet of flowers? I mean, is there anything emptier than that? I, I mean, you know... Call yourself on your own phone and leave yourself a sweet little message. I mean, none of this works. None of this works because if you don't have that love from somewhere else, you're never going to find it in you. you. You can't save yourself by loving yourself. And for that matter, if you think that somebody else is going to do that for you, you're going to be so disappointed. I think, oh, Pastor Tim, I, I, there's nothing I want more than maybe to have a wife. Like some of, the, some of those couples at church, they just all look so happy coming and going. You don't go home with us. You don't know what kind of wife we got. I'm just being honest. You don't know nothing about people's lives. And I'm telling you, nobody has a wife who loves them to the degree that their heart is completely satisfied. There is no person who can fill you up if Jesus has not somehow saved your soul. If you don't have his love, nobody else's love can save you. This is a horrible thing. Everybody thinks that, man, if we can just get the culture to recognize every shape, every body shape, if we can just get everybody to love themselves, if we can get everybody to remember everybody's pronouns, and if we can get everybody to, you know, to remember what month we're throwing a parade for you. I mean, you know, none of this is going to work. If you don't find love and affirmation in Christ, you're never going to find it anywhere else. There will never be enough of it. It doesn't matter what pronoun we use. When you make people the source of what you think you need, your soul never gets what it actually needs most. So one more thing. Others can reject you, and they will. But they can't make Jesus reject you. He won't. So we started, we'll end with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. I live in this earthly, which earthly body? This, this earth, I live in this earthly body. I got a 57-year-old uh, earthly body. Like, what even are these? Like, y'all see those spots? Like, those are old man spots. And they just popped up. Like, look at this one. Like, you know, that's bigger than a cat's head right there. Giant, ugly spot. And my grandfather had those. I think they called them liver spots. Like, what is wrong with my liver, y'all? Um, it's just my body. You know, it's just, it's just my body. And, and whatever Jesus is going to do in my life, he's going to have to work it out in this body. You understand what I'm saying? My first grade teacher was an amazing woman named Marjorie Bonds. Anybody have Miss Bonds at Rich Pond in first grade? Yeah, you're so blessed. You're all so blessed. Weren't we not blessed? Back in my, listen to Papa, y'all. Back in my day, 
Um, you didn't have kindergarten, you went straight to first grade, which means I went straight from mama to Miss Bonds. And, uh, and Miss Bonds was wonderful. I mean, man, first grade, especially in those beginning weeks, man, man, she got kids crying, begging for mama. I mean, you know, we were all crying. You know, about lunchtime, we just need to go home, you know. And Miss Bonds was just wonderful. Do you know what her secret weapon, and I mean this, you have to understand if Marjorie Bonds were standing here, she'd tell you this. Do you know what her gift was? What made her such an amazing comforter? It was her arm fat. Arm fat. Her arm fat. I'm telling you the truth. She's still alive. Y'all go find her. She will tell you what I'm telling you is the truth. Miss Bonds had, like, under her arm here, the, ama- the most amazing just puddles of, like, underarm dingle-dangle. What, what do you call all that? It was, just, it was just arm fat, and it was awesome. And so whenever we would cry or just need comforting, I mean, she call, she'd just call us up and we'd go sit in her lap. I mean, Miss Bonds would put you in her lap, which was awesome. But then if that weren't enough, if you couldn't somehow, you know, get it together by just being in her lap, she would go, oh, look, baby, look. And she would let you play with her arm fat. And so we'd just play with it. And it was, it was, a, y'all, I'm not making anything up. I'm telling you the truest story I know to tell you. It was, just, it was just there, and you could stretch it and roll it like Play-Doh. I mean, uh, this is true. This is true. Ben, Ben, it's true. She had arm fat, and she knew how to work it. I mean, she used it every single day in a classroom with children. So, I mean, I'm, y'all, I'm telling you the truth. First week of school, I missed the bus because I'm just an idiot kid. I missed the school bus. Miss Bond sees me. I'm crying, you know, because I'm thinking I'll never see my home again. And Miss Bond says, what's wrong? I said, I missed the bus. She said, where do you live? I said, I live in Woodburn. She said, where's Woodburn? I said, I don't know. I didn't know where Woodburn was. No idea where my house. I don't know where I live. And so back in, you could do this back in her day. Miss Bond said, well, get in the car. We'll just drive till we find it. So I'm now in Miss Bond's car. It's okay, y'all. It's okay. Don't report her. It was okay then. I'm in her car, and we're just driving to find Woodburn. And so I'm terrified. Like, I don't know where I am. I don't know if I'll ever see my parents again. And so I'm in her back seat, and I just fall apart. I just start crying again. I'm just crying. I'm six years old. I've never been away from home before. Miss Bonds looks up and sees me crying in the rearview mirror. What do you think she does? She rolls down her window, and she puts her arm out. And she said, Tim, look, look at my arm. And I'm telling you, it was the most amazing thing. It was like somebody unfurled an American flag. It was just fat, just just rippling and flapping in the breeze. And I just, I forgot anything that could be wrong in my life. I mean, all of my problems blew away, you know. Yeah. I'm not joking. Somehow when God made Miss Bonds, you know, he just made it where she'd have a little bit extra under both arms. And she knew how to use her body to comfort children, to make us feel loved and, 
and safe and at home. You know the worst thing in the world that could have ever happened if somebody got up in the teacher's lounge and talked her into cutting out carbs? That would have been devastating for my life. We needed her, you know, as God made her as she was. I'm just saying, before you turn against yourself, before you make up your mind that your body's not acceptable, before you think that your body's not good enough for God, you might just sort of remind yourself who made you. You know, who, who, who put your frame together in the first place and who it was that made you perfectly and wonderfully. Paul says, the life I now live in this body, I live by, by affirmation and validation from the opinions of others. Is that what he says? The life I live in this body, I live by going on Instagram every other day and putting some selfies up to see how many people like them. I live by the likes and dislikes of others. No, no. Paul says, the life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me, who loves me and gave himself up for me. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Others can reject you. Jesus will not reject you. Every time he looks at you exactly as you are, the shape you are, Jesus looks at you and he sees a person he loves enough to die for. You're a person worth dying for to him. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. In this life that I live in this body, I live by faith in Jesus who loves me and gave himself up for me.